John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 840.MK1009, certificate number 27256. No fault divorce. I don't understand. Well, the problem is, is that your mommy and I both want you to live with us, see? So that's why we decided to go see this man, who I told you is the judge, and, and we let him decide because he's very wise and experienced about these things. See, we talked to him for a few days, and, and after that we asked him what he thought. You know what he said? He agreed with mommy. He thought it would be a terrific idea if, if you move in with her and live there from now on. And I'm really lucky because I get to have dinner with you once a week. And two times a month, we spend the weekends together. Your parents are still married. They are. Uh, 50 years? No, that's not quite true. Seems like if they'd had their 50-year anniversary that you would remember it. Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering when it's coming up. Let me do the math. I'm illegitimate, so I'm 40. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Could have been. Uh, they are just a few years away from their 50th. And uh, is the 50-year anniversary like the gold anniversary? You're going to have to chip in some big dollars to their present, right? Mm, no. It's not paper anymore. I think the couple needs to give themselves the, the, the gift. <laughs> oh, sure. You buy it for one another. I don't need to buy them an anniversary gift. Do my kids... <laughs> when's the last time your kids gave you any kind of... Uh... I've never had a significant <laughs> anniversary, except every year in December, I have my uh, my sobriety anniversary. Do you get a chip from uh, your family? No, not from my family. For a while, like um, like I had friends that would give me gifts. Sean Nelson used to give me a... Give me a a really nice Zippo every year on my AA birthday, <laughs> but uh, every everyone has forgotten what my birthday is, and now it's not. But this will be my twenty fifth year of, of sobriety. Twenty five years. That's ex- year. and what day is it in December? Well, I'm not going to tell them. The futurelings. They're, they're, it's not important to them. They're all in the future. Will you tell me later? Yeah, maybe I'll tell you. Later. Okay. Uh, did you know any? Kids growing up who were the products of divorce, or were you kind of insulated from that? Being overseas insulated me a lot because, you know, if you take your family overseas, you're, you're doing it because your marriage is stable, right, you know, right. like you're going to break up after you get home or before you leave and then you won't go at all. I feel like when I was living here in Seattle, I had a few kids whose parents were divorced and in the late seventies, that was still kind of an oddity. Yeah. And it was, you know, it, it happened only, it's something that happened only in like kind of this more serious Judy Bloomy kind of children's book. Right. It was, uh, it was still s- super unusual and, and somewhat sh- uh, uh, shocking or, or scandalous. Yeah. It seemed like a thing you'd have to, you know, a kid would have to admit. Even into the eighties, um, you know, I lived in a, in a neighborhood that was largely Catholic and my mother was the only single mom anyone could think of. Anyone really? knew the only, not just the only single mom, the only divorced woman, and she was absolutely discriminated against by my friend's parents. She didn't give get invited to any of the potlucks. Um, it seems like the plot of a Douglas Sirk movie or a John Cheever story or something that the 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 one divorced lady moves in and everyone else is just gasps at her effrontery. It really, it really. Uh, she she absolutely felt that way, and I did too as a as a kid, um, feeling like. I would hear that my friends and their parents had all gotten together at a uh, for for some kind of fondue party, and we weren't invited. And I think I think when my mom first moved in, some 
neighborly husband came over to help her carry some suitcase in and he got a, he got a talk, he got a talking to and, and you know, we, it was really, really was a, this is a Mad Men plot line. I just realized your it, mom lived a, a second, a season two Mad Men plot yeah, line. Yeah, she sure did in more ways than one. She can't watch Mad Men cause she thinks that the, she, she has all these problems with the continuity of their shoes or whatever. <laughs> she lived through that whole period. It's true that I'm very good at spotting anachronisms in movies of my period. Yeah. Like there were Reese's pieces in, um, some movie, scary stories to tell in the dark. And I'm like, there were no Reese's pieces in 1967. <laughs> uh, but no fault divorce played a big role in, in my life. My parents were divorced when I was four. And, uh, at the time it was, a it was, I think a radical and shocking. It was the only divorce really that had happened in my family. Your family was living in Seattle at the time or Alaska? Sort of. uh, We were in Alaska. Mm -hmm. My mom, dad, and my sister and I had moved to Alaska and uh, my mom didn't like Alaska and she had, uh, she decided that she didn't like my dad. And my mom was someone who was very independent and self-starting. She, she taught herself computer programming and had taken a job as a computer programmer before I was born in the mid sixties, which really frustrated my dad primarily because he didn't like the optics. Um, he was a lawyer and felt like having his wife work reflected poorly on his ability and reflected poorly on his social standing. Like he's not just him. That's very generational. I assume he was a, he was a, a prominent Seattle lawyer and his wife shouldn't work. And my mom didn't work because she needed the money. She needed the intellectual exercise. You know, she was curious and she wanted to have her own autonomy out in the world. But at the time, the assumption wouldn't have just been, oh, you got an independent wife there. It really would have been like, oh, what's wrong that well, she has to work? Either thing. I mean, I think the assumption would have been, oh, you got an independent wife there. What's wrong? But it, so uh, it would not It would not have necessarily <laughs> been, oh, you can't pay the bills, huh? No, although that was my dad's insecurity. And I think my mom did want control of her own money as part of an independent, as part of her independence, it frustrated her that she sure had, that she didn't have control of her own accounts, but that wasn't, uh, that wasn't my father being unusual, um, at the time for a woman to, uh, and a married woman to open her own bank account required that her husband co-sign. Didn't we just talk about how credit cards could not yeah. be obtained? She, by... she, was, she couldn't get a credit card without the sort of paternalistic approval of her husband. And in the case of my mom and my dad, she did go to him and grab him by the, by the shirt collar and say, you will co-sign on this. Yeah, I can't see your mom taking too much <laughs> crap on financial lines. And so she did have her own bank account, her own line of credit, her own checking account. I mean, we can laugh at these frail male egos, but this still happens today in marriages where uh, the, sp- the other spouse makes more. Yeah. I-, I feel like many, many people who think of themselves as broad-minded, modern liberal people still suddenly, deep in their heart of hearts, feel very threatened when their paycheck is smaller. Well, it's super challenging in our contemporary society when the when the when one spouse, kind of regardless of gender, has more power and more income. But gender certainly amplifies yeah. it. Um, it's it's always a challenge unless your income and status in the world uh, is is configured with your desire to be a, a submissive or dominant member of the partnership, right? If you are, if you're right. like. Spank me, daddy. Also, I make less money. It all works well. <laughs> That's not a sentence you hear very often. I have two things to say. First, spank me. Second, my earning potential is quite low. But if you, you know, it, I've been very bad and financially uh, reliant. In circumstances where you're, where the the desire, the mutual desire, or desire of one party or the other to have a to have a marriage that's founded in equality. I feel like that's kind of the nominal assumption now. And uh, what, well, and that was maybe absolutely not the uh, assumption. I know. Like it's <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> modern thing. You'd think that would be, you know, just a fair place to start in all cases. But and astonishingly modern in, uh, by which I mean modern into, um, into the last decade. Um, it was not until 2010 
that the state of New York allowed two people to divorce one another based on a mutual desire to be divorced. They were the last state to, to have no fault divorce. New, New York state was the last state um, that did not require that, uh, that, the, that one party prove wrongdoing. Demonstrate some cause. Or that, um, or that both parties live in a state of legal separation for well, a period yeah, of the time? 18 months or a year or, you know, the, the term was reduced over time, but still never less than six months to prove to the government that you genuinely wanted to be, be a part. And that kind of, that kind of like legal requirement is sort of the, the writ large version of, uh, it confirms that the idea that a partnership would be one that was designed around mutual assent and when that mutual assent was no longer shared that you could have a mutual consent to dissolve it without needing to prove anything uh that's pretty new yes and future listeners should be aware that uh you know that's that's the that's the gen, that's the universe that you and I grew up in right and probably everybody our age or younger is just takes it as granted that that's how Marriage and divorce should work. If one party's out, it's over. Right. And that has really never happened before in the history of the world before the 20th century and in America until the late 20th century. Right. Well, and, and really globally, um, like the, there was a, there was a sense, uh, in the 19th century, pretty much, pretty much globally up until that point, there was no concept of, uh, certainly no no fault divorce but really not a ton of um just like the legalistic divorce right within the catholic church there was no divorce within most most religious traditions there wasn't a there was a sense of marriage being a bond that transcended your whim or or even transcended abuse that you might suffer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, um, it was only in the 19th yeah, we, century. Yeah, we didn't treat it even in places where it was a secular institution as well as a religious one. It was not just treated as equivalent to any other contract right. where, you know, the parties had certain rights to bail. No, it was, it was something much more foundational and ironclad than that. And it was, it was in the 19th century that the secularization of government really, uh, started to be, started to be more commonplace. I mean, yeah. up until then, 18th century, mostly, Governments were still ruled. They had state religions. State religion. Yeah. And so, so the idea of divorce really became, um, became sort of a, a sense of uh, that, that there was a there, legal divorce was popular and that there could be accommodations made with the religious authorities. That's, that even is, is fairly recent. It wasn't, I mean, the first, the first attempt at writing in, uh, a notion of divorce as a mutual by mutual assent by mutual assent wasn't uh, wasn't until Frederick the Great was trying to modernize Prussia and trying to sort of describe himself as a um, or or rather try to rule his country according to Enlightenment principles. Right. I'm and, not one of those mean old timey kings that does whatever. Like we've got a system that makes sense now. Right. And and one of those as he reformed or attempted to reform the whole system of laws that govern Prussia, he uh, he wrote in or it was written into these laws that that the the idea that you could divorce someone based on uh, on mutual assent. But if he's it, jumping ahead of every other country on earth, I mean, that must have been some idea that thinkers have been tossing around. Like, wouldn't it be better if religion didn't wasn't mean and made you do stuff like this? And this was true across everything sort of during the Enlightenment period where where um, government was being separated from religious authority, mm -hmm. separated from kings that had the, the, the right of gods and turned into civil matters. Um, but you encountered an awful lot of resistance. And even as other things became secularized, the institution of marriage, a lot of the, the power of marriage, the, the, the symbolic power of it and also the social power of it was that it was meant to survive uh, a lot of slings and arrows, right? You could be extremely dissatisfied in a marriage, but it, 
wouldn't be grounds to dissolve the marriage because the, the, um, a lot of those assumptions probably have children in mind. 100%. I mean, marriage at marriage being primarily to foster the child rearing uh, implement, rearing children, stability for them. You weren't, you couldn't just dissolve a marriage, uh, even if you suffered for decades because you had the state and the church had a vested interest in children being cared for by, you know, by an intact family. Mm-hmm. So there was, it, it wasn't even, there wasn't a movement in favor of divorce. It was an institution that would have required an overwhelming event to try and undermine or destabilize. And and the first time that we really saw it happen was during the Russian, Russian revolution in the aftermath oh. of the revolution. So one way to stick it to religion that's right. and to secularize a new atheist society is to say, Hey, like we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't design a contract this way. It required, uh, it required nothing less than a, than a, uh, than a revolution. Violent overthrow. Yeah. And even then, um, Although it, divorce was introduced in the sort of uh, the Bolshevik constitution, uh, they didn't they didn't think it all the way through, and there wasn't any component of alimony or sure. Um, it's still pro- going to be a bunch of men who are like, wait, what what's going to happen now? Right. the pro- the The provision for the spouse that had no money, um, the the lack of provision for it meant that you could write no fault divorce into the law, but that was effectively. Um, it just was a, yeah. a law that allowed men to cast out their wives. Well, yeah, one of the exes would be penniless. So it was. It then became a, um, a like a legal puzzle because the the with the the greater secularization of society even in in the West, it was recognized like this needed particularly when women got the franchise to vote. Uh, throughout the 20th century, there was a sense that there needed to be a different system that that was more that conformed to our growing notion that, that women had autonomy and that marriage was not uh, was not something that the state had an interest in in um, characterizing as a a contract in perpetuity. Right? It was if you were going to have individual rights under the law, you couldn't bind people in this way. Right. Any other contract would have an out, right? Right. right. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout in in maoist china they introduced sort of no-fault divorce in the 50s but again within a kind of within a, a communist context and one where the state is, you know, is functioning at a, at a, as the ultimate authority at a much greater level. In the, I assume you'll probably get to this, but I assume in the U S one of the things that led to the recognition, this was not working was the fact that divorces were happening, but it had to happen with some kind of charade of fault to get around the current laws. Right. So, Divorce evolved over the course of the 20th century to become more and more commonplace, but it did require the um, assigning of blame. And that required that one partner either commit a felony or adultery or abandonment or some abuse, some abuse within a very narrow con, you know, very narrow description of what 
constituted enough. Not everything we would consider abusive today by a long chalk was probably grounds for divorce then. Right. And, and that the, that it had to be proved and not just, not just an accusation, but it had to be demonstrated, which meant that in, by some legal standard of preponderance of the evidence, you'd have to show that there was not only that, but that if you, if, if, if you were accused within divorce, within a divorce proceeding of adultery and your response to it, let's say you were a husband and your wife accused you of adultery. If you said to the judge in response, well, she also committed adultery. The fact that, uh, the fact that you were defending yourself with what was called a defensive recrimination, which is basically to say, you know, well, I was bad, but you were bad too. In an instance like that, judges would rule that your marriage was, uh, dysfunctional but that was not grounds to dissolve it. Because there's no wronged party. Right. If both people are the wronged party. That's weird. So if you want if you did not want to be divorced and your spouse was accusing you of of uh you know of malfeasance, all you needed to do was find a way in which they were culpable in the malfeasance and that defense of recrimination was enough to keep the marriage together. It Presumably really, two people who both wanted to be divorced, if there's mutual assent, would put on a little show. Well, now this became the problem, right? Because yes, if you were, if, if both parties wanted out of the marriage, one of them needed to take the fall. Mm-hmm. And so what were the, were there legal consequences to discourage that kind of a thing? Uh, no, what? if you were, I like mean, the person who's taking the fall gets no other penalty besides here's at, a divorce at this, at, by the 1950s and sixties, if you were, if you were, uh, judged by the court to have committed adultery, there was no uh, additional punishment for adultery mm-hmm. associated with it. It was just that your spouse then was granted a divorce, but that there was some assumption that they were an injured party. And so in the decision about assets and, and support would take that into account. Right. But there were a lot of workarounds. Um, in old movies, they're always going to Reno. Well, what so was it, the Nevada law that made that more workable. So Nevada had a, a law that if you lived in, Nevada for six weeks, you could gain residency in Nevada, Mm. at which point um, Nevada would grant you a divorce where a lot of other states wouldn't. So you would move to, you'd move to Nevada. They didn't have no fall divorce, but they had a, a some kind of shorter waiting period, some kind of shorter separation period required or less demonstration of, of uh, whatever the the cause is right and if one if one party moved to nevada and lived there for six weeks they could then file for a divorce in divorce in nevada and and they had to prove a lot less wrongdoing smart tourism move it was nevada and mexico actually were two places that All people went depraved californians just coming and spending money just so they can get a divorce but in new york there was a there was a solution to it which was called collusive adultery where they would Ooh, the uh, i want to try collusive adultery somebody would hire a private detective they would get a woman to pose as the mistress the man and the woman would be caught in flagrante delecto how flagrante does the delecto have to be does the does I, the guy get to uh i don't think he i don't think it has to it could you know that's, maybe he gets too into character <laughs> viewer discretion is advised and then you know then the private detective with the wife in tow bursts down the door and it's and then you know that that is Sufficient evidence then to take to court. And do they? Does the judge know that everybody's making a mockery of his courtroom because they're all insisting that this actually happened? But he knows that in nine out of ten cases, yes. And what ended up happening was that the American Bar Association and a lot of the legal um, institutions of the country started to feel that this divorce charade was making a mockery of. Um, of oaths and of the legal system because yeah, all the lawyers are having to all everybody is cover up for this. Everybody is pretending and, but people are saying under oath you're, things that everyone knows to be untrue. You're normalizing perjury. And, and it was actually a, a fear of normalizing perjury that caused the bar association and the American legal community to start to advocate for a, a liberalization of divorce law. That's crazy. Because what we would think is the fact that this charade is going on in massive 
amounts is a sign that the underlying law is wrong and not addressing the actual social needs. And, 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 and I think that it was the reflective conclusion, right? The law is wrong, but what's driving us to consider it is that we, that at least that generation of lawyers still believed that there was something that, that the law was sacrosanct or, I mean, you know, the, the, or, or rather the, um, the practice well, you know, you don't get up and, and swear an oath it's a, it's and, a, and it's perjure a, yourself. It's a professional indignity. Yeah. I mean, now we live in a world where people are perjuring themselves right and left and, and, and the burden of proof, or rather the burden of effort of just prosecuting someone for perjury right. seems so much more difficult. But people went to jail for perjury until not very long ago for perjuring themselves in small matters because the court's regarded themselves as temple. Well, if you remember the Clinton impeachment, the, right. the perjury turned out to be a bigger deal than the possible adultery. I right. can't remember whether oral sex is adultery in that jurisdiction or not. But uh, I, I, was, I guess I was re- it occurred to me that in some quarters, even if you realized that this massive charade showed that, you know, that the law was not representing everybody's interest, you might be okay with that if you thought, well, anybody who wants a divorce for those, for frivolous reasons uh, you know, is a is a party whose interests we should not be catering to. Like society needs to make these people, uh, you know, should not take their wishes into account. You know, right. or, or or should make them jump through hoops because the greater good is not represented by these dingbats who want a divorce. If if you have if you have a, if you have strong feelings about the dangers of what divorce represents. Well, but and but the flip side, of course, is that that um, making people jump through hoops to get divorces means that people are going to invent all kinds of. I mean, they're going to make false accusations. There's going to be yeah. a lot of lying happening that maybe isn't intrinsic to the to the situation, but is the only kind of solution. Like, for instance, the reason that there are periods of legal separation rather than just like, okay, you know what? I can't live with you anymore. I'm going to move to an apartment over here and you stay here and we'll work it out. I assumed it was like a gun waiting list where you, you know, you don't want people to impulsively do something they'll regret. Well, it's that, but also if you just move out and don't get a legal separation, that's grounds to accuse you of desertion, which Mm. was one of the, one of the handful of reasons to be granted a divorce. So if you are if you want to live apart but don't want to be found in fault as a deserter, uh, you acquire a legal separation, and that sets in motion a kind of clock where you can live apart, still married, but be on the path to arriving at a divorce conclusion. This happened prior to no, to straight up no fault divorce laws. Uh, no fault, you know, no fault divorce would be allowed after a certain period of legal separation. Well, yeah, but but the the rolling out of no fault divorce happened over the course of forty years. Mm-hmm. Um, in nineteen sixty nine, California became the first state to uh, enact no no fault divorce. The weird thing to me is Reagan is governor, right? Reagan signed the law because Reagan was a uh, was divorced. Oh, like I guess that's true. <laughs> Reagan had divorced uh, Mary Pickford or whatever and married Nancy, and so he. He felt uh, he felt some simpatico. I'm pretty sure it was not Mary Pickford or whatever. It's Jane Wyman. <laughs> Jane Wyman. It's true. We've only had two divorced presidents, and they have not been from the sexually depraved party. What's That's going right. on? Well, it's just like Nixon goes to China. <laughs> only- <laughs> the Republicans get to, get to be divorced. And is that why he? That's why he did it. He had some inner sympathy for the the plight of what divorcees go through. The sincere, well-meaning. Well, Mass of American divorcees. You know, Reagan became more and more conservative over time as he as he saw that that was the path to power. I think in the in the fifties he was a Democrat, and a, and in the sixties I think he was a cocktail party going Nelson uh, Rockefeller Republican. And the you know the Christian right had not really arisen as a powerful force. It wasn't so that wouldn't yet. have been a motivated that would not have been a motivating thing to his political outlook is uh you know what god fearing men and women want their want from their government. And this was in the winds, right? In 1969 we were um we were now at the at uh not just it, we, we were long past the dawn, but we were now in the kind of early center of um, 
the women's rights movement, but also we were uh, a half a dozen years past the advent of the pill and the arrival of the pill and the liberation that that enabled within, you know, within wives to determine whether or not they were going to reproduce. It, it had a cascading effect in, in the, um, in all these spheres of recognizing female autonomy and, um, right. And empowerment. If, and, if sex is, is, uh, synonymous with childbearing and family to you, then of course everyone's going to have sex, which right. means, you know, everyone's going to have a family with kids and the law should ref- reflect that assumption about the universality and permanence of that. And as soon as those things get dissociated, it's a whole different set of assumptions. Right. If it, sex isn't just procreative and what that also sparked was this sexual revolution. And, and so it created, there were a lot of undercurrents in, in no fault divorce in its, in its early days, um, men, husbands typically, um, were pretty excited about it because they no longer had to prove that their wife had been unfaithful. They could just find a younger wife. And so early feminists, including the national organization for women came out against it in, in a lot of jurisdictions because without, um, without a, I mean, alimony. Right, that's a legal protection for the... Right. And alimony was always tied to the finding of fault um, because it was presumed that, the, that the, the, the woman who didn't earn an income had done nothing wrong and so was owed support as she got back on her feet. But in a no-fault situation, uh, there wasn't... It wasn't automatic that... that um, an understanding that she should be supported as she, as she found a career. I mean, that's a feminist critique of no fault divorce that probably still holds today. It, does. it gives men a lot of power to discard wives for newer, younger, more exciting models, which is something that we see in model of wife, not fashion model, which is something that we see a lot in society. We do. And it's part of the kind of feminization of poverty that we've seen in the, in the, well, in, in a lot of ways in the aftermath of no-fault divorce, which is that we just see more and more single women with no um, – with no – with an income inequality kind of baked into the culture yeah. and often arriving in the world as, a, as someone who was um, – who didn't have her own job and now has children and – and received no recompense through the American lens. It's hard to do the thought experiment and think what would be better or worse in our society if we had not tried the no fault divorce experiment in all 50 States. But in fact, many other countries continue to not treat divorce the same way. This was do. true. I mean, Australia didn't enact no fault divorce until 1975. Canada didn't allow um, no fault divorce and even that with a lot of restrictions until 1986. I know in South Korea when I was growing up, there's to this day, there's not no-fault divorce. Right. Spouses have to demonstrate. To, you have to make the case to the state. You know, it's it, maybe it's not as strict as what it would have been in 1930s America, uh, uh, abuse, abandonment, infidelity, but something along those lines to yeah. convince the state that you're allowed to get a divorce. And I, I think the United Kingdom has a similar thing. You got to make they a do. case to the, to the crown. They do. And you have to, you have to have a period of legal separation. Um, you know, you have to demonstrate that you're not going to reconcile. So it's clear that these are two workable systems that, you know, have their strengths and weaknesses in the realities of modern life and, uh, you know, sexual parity. Between men and women, it's it's not like no fault divorce is the new uh, feminist friendly model. No, you know, like and now continued to fight it, um, even as other sort of feminist thinkers made a very compelling case that after the introduction of no fault divorce, female suicide declined by fifteen percent. After the introduction of no-fault divorce, abuse went down. Right, domestic violence was reduced by thirty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, in and and the problem with fault divorce is a lot of times people in abusive relationships are when they're required to stand up in court and testify against their abuser, they find themselves 
very inhibited. Yeah, there's a class of people for whom you really want to lower the barriers to ending a marriage because right. it's obviously in the public good for them to get away from their abusers, but it's so difficult to do. And of course, you can't coerce it. So, so California put this, you know, this uh, no-fault divorce into into the books in 1969, and then other states started to trickle along. Um, by 1977, nine states had no-fault divorce laws. Um, there's an organization, and we've never really talked about it on the program, but they play a pretty large role in American public life. That's called the Uniform Law Commission, hmm. which is, this is the a, deep state. It's sort of a deep state. The U.S.C. Uh, it's it, it dates back to the 19th century, and it was a it's a it's a a voluntary commission that has representatives from all 50 states, and the desire the 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 intended purpose of the U.L.C. is that as states start to pass laws that have similar intents uh, that it makes sense for American states to come together and, and work out the, the wording of laws so that they're so that we don't have 50 laws that are mostly the same. Cause, cause it's kind of insane that we have these 50 semi-autonomous governments anyway yeah, in, right. in, in one under one federal legal code. So if we're all going to decide that, you know, at the state level, we're going to allow divorce, um, we should have that worded more or less the same. So people aren't moving to Nevada for six weeks yeah. and getting divorced. And so the Universal Law Commission came out with, um, in 1969, this proposal, the Uniform Marriage and Divorce Act. And, you know, with the with the, the idea that it would become a kind of um, template for what no-fault divorce was going to look like. But it was... Um, it wasn't until 1983 that almost all states had adopted some form of uh, of a of a law permitting divorce by mutual assent. The only two holdouts were South Dakota and the aforementioned New York State, uh, who I mean, and New York didn't allow hard to see a trend there. 2010. <laughs> right. I can't think of two, two places less likely. You'd think that new, you know, that cosmopolitan New York city, it's weird to think that was the one jurisdiction where, uh, marriages were still being held together in a way that no other state would allow. Well, New York like weirdly has, um, has a pretty long tradition of being really conservative on marriage issues. New York state was, um, New York State still actually has a law against adultery. It's not it's not widely enforced, but you can be convicted of adultery in New York. That's always weird to me because it just means that you know that could be wielded any sure. number of ways. Sure. You know, as long as that's on the books, it may not be it may not be enforced. Uh, you know, fairly well until 1966, adultery was the only ground for divorce in New York. Even cruelty, which other states allowed as a ground for divorce, was not a grounds in New York. You could prove that your spouse was was cruel and Yeah, duh. And New York was like, sorry, you know what? That's uh, that's marriage actually. There, there are quite a few states now that have no fault divorce and at fault divorce both as potential routes toward divorce, and New York is one of those states. Um uh I think about a third of American states are only no fault. They've abolished at fault divorce entirely. Um, it's a recognition that I guess the legal path should be the same. Right. But, but I think at fault divorce is still, um, is still very common. And a lot of it has to do with, with apportionment of alimony. Now there are seven American states that, and Washington is one of them that are community property states, right. which, sort of um, alleviate the question of equitable distribution of marriage assets and just say everything that you own together in the marriage, the marriage owns it is yeah. split in half at dissolution of the marriage. So that ultimately is, I think the, the, the natural and ultimate consequence of no fault divorce, which is, yeah, you guys get divorced. Everything that you own in common is shared unless otherwise, uh, unless otherwise negotiated, right? You can get married and have a prenuptial agreement that, that, uh, changes the rules. That trumps community property. Uh, yeah. I think if you, if you, if you sign a prenup before you get married, 
Uh, there are states like the state of Alaska is a community property state, but that's an opt-in. Hmm. So at the start of the marriage, you can either opt in or not. Can either spouse property. opt in? I, I, mean, assume, <laughs> I assume both spouses have to I opt in. I think it's a thing where you have to high five it as you go in um, or, or at the, you know, the, the dissolution of the divorce, you make a, make a separate arrangement. Um, I mean, it just makes sense. If the marriage is any length at all, it's, you know, you, you have to imagine a parallel universe where, you know, it, it's like making up a call in football, you know, who, who knows where the, what would have happened if you, they, if that call had gone the other way, coaching decisions would have been different well, in the same way. It's hard to just say what financial outcomes would have been if, if a marriage had not happened. So, you know, splitting the baby 50, 50 seems like it makes more sense than saying, trying to guess what everybody's earning power would have been or what they deserve. Right. But, but there's always that argument where it's like, I went to college and became a stockbroker and all my wife did was make toasted cheese sandwiches and that's my money. Um, so right. But, are, but part of her decision uh, to stick in making toast is cheese instead of thinking of, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. The, exactly. re, the referee has to say, and that's, you know, that's determined off often. And in a lot of cases and most in the majority of American States still determined by the judge. There are ad, a lot ad hoc, of, yeah. a lot of alimony rules that, um, that very much are dependent on how long you were married. You know, if you were married for less than three years, a lot of States won't grant alimony, there are a lot of states that grant alimony for a very fixed period. You only receive alimony for three to five years after the marriage, and and it's a little it's a little starter thing. Yeah, well, and some of Get that your own life going. Some of that argument is that to receive perpetual alimony is you know keeps you from beginning a new life. I mean, there are so I, many. I guess I can see that too. If, it, a, if for a very short marriage, you know, what decades and decades of alimony in perpetuity. Right. You just it's basically you have a government pension. You, you retired from the air force is what that's like. <laughs> uh, the state of Texas, I think, says that you um, you can receive as alimony either twenty five hundred dollars or forty percent of your spouse's gross, whichever is less mm. per month. I feel like a remarriage often will end. Alimony. Remarriage ends alimony. And I've often thought uh, like a, a funny business idea or, a, you know, comedy premise would be, um, you know, some spouse trying to get his ex remarried, his or her ex remarried to end the payment of alimony. And then, of course, then the two really fall in love. You see? Oh, you see how this is going to work in my little Netflix rom-com? I love it. Of course, alimony is separate from child support and um, and – States have um, states do enforce child support, and uh, but a lot of times now, increasingly, where the female partner is it makes more money and is more prominent than the man, you have this new, pretty, in fact, really new idea of male alimony. In most cases, up until very recently, galimony maybe galimony paid by the gal. Should we try that? Mm, I don't know. No. You want you want to let that roll? Mm. In in most cases where the where the um, where the male partner earned less and was less prominent up until very recently, they would uh, th- those alimony situations were usually in the form of a cash payout, like when Britney Spears divorced Kevin Federline, like he got some <laughs> bag of money after his five week duty or whatever. Yeah, but it wasn't a thing where he where he co- collected alimony. It wouldn't he you know that wouldn't have. Uh, made his next career as a hip hop dancer right. seem very cool, but I think now more and more you're seeing actual alimony paid to um, whichever spouse it is that makes less money. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash 
slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Now, maybe you're going to get to this, but I assume that a lot of the, the modern culture wars over marriage, which have which have centered on rights to same-sex marriage largely, don't they often have side skirmishes that relate to relitigating no-fault divorce? Like, wasn't this the real assault on marriage stability? Because divorce rates did go up, right? Divorce rates went up in the short term. Um, yeah, divorce rates peaked, I think, in the early 90s and have been coming down since. But uh, but really, like, divorce is... I know when Scotland legalized no-fault divorce, there was a, there was a spike... And that was all the people who maybe should have gotten divorced for years that it had been building up. And that's what happened and in the U.S. states, down. too, that, that divorce rates are actually, um, are actually lower yeah. because there aren't, uh, there aren't all these— I guess you could make the argument that there's other impediments to marriage that are keeping frivolous marriages down in a way that they wouldn't have before. Well, and there aren't so many arranged marriages or assumed marriages, and, and all of or this goes— Or we got pregnant marriages. Yeah, all of it goes along with birth control yeah. also— but yeah, when you, when when um, when no fault divorce is is initially enacted in a place, yeah, you see a divorce uh, or a divorce spike. But in general, divorce rates remain more or less constant and kind of on the decline, actually, surprisingly. So the um, the institution of marriage survives against all odds, Ken. <laughs> I can't account for it. <laughs> It's 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 kind of nice. I I, I recommend it. Uh, marriage. If anyone out there is living in a society without marriage and wants to just give it a shot and can find a like-minded uh, jellyfish or bumblebee person or whatever, uh, uh, I I recommend marriage. It's a delight. Well, you and I are 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 a, married. A, a, you and I are married in a, in spirit. We we have <laughs> we have a, a life bond. No, you and I are are great example of a very very small anecdotal. Uh, control group you are married uh-huh. and i am not you are never married and so let's see which one of us lives longer and prospers <laughs> uh the futurelings will know this is going to decide it a thousand years from now they'll be like marriage can outlive john the, so the jennings it route? must have been super good in my Th- mom, there will probably be jenningsites and rhetoricites yeah who, well you with, had, with opposing views on marriage you had two kids and and uh well at least thus far i've only had one so there will probably be more Jenningses than there will be Rodericks. <laughs> Although I may have more acolytes. Yeah, exactly. You'll have who change their name. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have spiritual children. In my mom's case, she credits no fault divorce with um, with her own ability to uh, to strike out in the world on her own. She did not have to prove um, emotional cruelty or adultery or anything of the of the kind with my dad she was able to divorce him with a no fault and um but in a generation that you know doesn't have all the advances that were happening at that time let's say in a, g- a generation like ours that already has a good deal more equity between the sexes obviously not perfect but a good deal more uh you know does no fault divorce have such a is, is it such a game changer for women today I guess it could be. I, th- I think it's, I mean, it is on the path. I mean, we see now the, a rise in the sort of father's rights movement, which. Um, right. A lot the, of assumptions about who gets. Uh, yeah. The courts custody are, and, the courts make all kinds of decisions that, that favor the mother in almost every kind of custody dispute. Um, and there are states like Washington that, that have different laws and in, in depending on how you look at the father's rights movement maybe more progressive laws in Washington about what rights a father has to to um, play a role in their child's upbringing all of this is a long path right my mom liked the opportunity that no fault divorce provided her and then immediately was stepped out into a world where a woman couldn't have a freaking credit card without her co- husband co-signing on it. So <laughs> she's she, ahead of the curve. So she had to fight a lot of battles that yeah, now that no fault divorce didn't solve all right. her problems. And now we we uh, a younger generation people now would find some of those battles kind of hard to conceive of, being in such recent memory as they are. 
but there are a lot more battles to fight in terms of, um, I mean, people continue to get married, although you could make an argument that it's a strange institution with an awful lot of baggage across a whole spectrum of, you know, that's, it's sort of like a, it's like Christmas trees, basically. Like what, what is the fact that it does survive though? Like yeah. it must mean it reflects something deep in us. And, you know, I guess for a while, the only way we could think of to structure a family, but if, if not that, at least a very, you know, a time tested and maybe by the numbers fortuitous way to, to, to start one. Well, off. it not only survives, but it flourishes. I mean, it is, it is the primary aspirational event in a whole lot of different alternate um, sure, family I read, structures. I read as many bridal magazines as you do. I know uh-huh. how aspirational, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing is. But the right, you know, same-sex marriage became right. like uh, maybe one of, if not the focal point of- A of real pivot for the gay rights the movement. Gay rights not, movement. To, not to say we disdain these old-fashioned institutions, but you know what? We're going to play along. We would like to benefit by them as well. And I think now in the 2000 teens- um, as the culture gets accustomed to the fact that, yeah, you know what? Gay, gay people are also going to get divorced and you don't get to, and that's not proof of anything. There's going to be no posted stamp <laughs> or statues of the, the, you know, the first gay divorcees. Right. I mean, but to, to, uh, to have like gay marriage legal in 50 States is to also have no fault divorce, uh, between gay people. And that is not proof that gay marriage doesn't work right right it's It's just just parody it's just marriage man and that concludes no fault divorce entry 840.mk1009 certificate number 27256 in the omnibus now futurelings uh we of course of course you do not have social media you don't have access to it but if there's an archive of social media of our time, you can certainly see the combined writings of both John and myself. Jenningsites should look for support for the uh, idea of uh, marriage. Roderickites should look to for the freewheeling, independent rock and roll lifestyle of their uh, idol. You can find all of the above at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on Twitter and or Instagram. We are jointly uh, at Omnibus Project everywhere else, and the project is uh, agnostic on marriage. Mm-hmm. Omnibus Project is neither uh, married nor single. It exists in a uh, quantum state of quantum indeterminacy between the two. Quantum indeterminacy until you, again. Until you open the box, the cat is both married and single. I want to. I want to see the alternate universe where I got married when I was 24. I want to see the alter. I definitely want to see the alternate universe where I got married at 28. I do, that but, would have been a hilarious marriage. But I do not want to see any kind of marriage where any kind of universe where I was not where married. Where you didn't get married to Mindy. I, well, because I'd, I'd be a disaster, oh, you, you know? Be. That's absolutely true. Like she nothing 80% like, of like, what clues you together. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, just some like... Tech guy. I'm trying to picture it. You're like, nerp, nerp, nerp. I think Mindy and I often wonder if I would would have ever gone on uh, the quiz show. Oh, really? If not for uh, her good advice and, and sensible support, because think- in you know in a community property state like Washington, it's irrelevant. She still gets half the winnings. Yeah, right. But is she entitled? Maybe so. Right. Well, the thing about Mindy is that although she kind of cosplays as just like a cheerful Mormon mom, she's way darker and cooler than you. <laughs> And so there's just a, she just has the, she just has the, the vibe of someone that would be cool, even, even if she were don't in a different community. I, I don't like the premise that <laughs> cheerful Mormon mommy bloggers are not cool. Like that's the ultimate cool <laughs> to me. I know, but she also is a little goth, you know, and it's why Caitlin is so goth. Do not say Caitlin. Do not tell Caitlin she is goth. Oh, I'm sorry, Caitlin. She has she has black fingernails right now. But but if I make if I make a single goth joke, she gets very (laughs) angry. Caitlin, as an as an external observer, I have seen a lot of goths in my life. I've watched a lot of people go goth and then go back, and you are pretty goth. I guess what you never want to do is suggest that any tween or teen is uh, 
all, oh. all their style choices are, are part of a movement or right. trend because anyone ever did it before. They all just come from their sincere soul. And how can right. you try to classify? You're absolutely right. My but you know, soul? but Mindy is goth, and I don't know if she would admit that, but she is. It's it's just in the way she looks at things. Huge Cure fan. I don't know. I don't know if that's a soul determining factor. If you show her something that she thinks is lame, the way she communicates how lame she thinks it is is super goth. <laughs> Would one of those things be your freewheeling rock and roll lifestyle? Is yeah. that is that one of the things yeah. you're thinking of here? A little bit. When she shoes me out of the house with a broom, like <laughs> shoo, shoo. I'm like, look, look, I'm the I'm Ken's cool friend. Uh, you can send us all your opinions on marriage and divorce, which we will read. If oh, you yeah. want us to adjudicate any uh, marriage issues, we are happy to do that. Just uh, send them to us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. I am super here for that. Is that right? Do your friends come to you with uh, with questions about their marriages? I have a, a podcast called Roadwork with Dan Benjamin, and uh, as part of our it's a great pa- show, you yeah, should listen if, it, if par- it survives. Your <laughs> as part of our Patreon, uh, we have an after show Patreon only show every week where we respond to viewer mail, and it's often very personal mail, and a lot of people write write us about their relationships and about their about ethical quandaries um, and it's behind a paywall because we talk about stuff in a way that I don't think uh, I don't think we would want you in don't want to get canceled world. well it's not that it's that I don't want I don't want pitchfork or right this is know, not general advice it, it's not general advice and it's not there for looky lose or people who are just looking for problems to kind of swing in not understanding the context of the show unless they pay you money and then they can do it. If I feel then like they can swing it. I feel like even a dollar a month is a burden that <laughs> someone looking for problems isn't going to pay just to find problems. It's like no fault divorce. That's right. You need to create some low barrier to entry to yeah because of the state's interest in uh, not having looky lose. If you're paying a dollar a month, you're already more, so much more invested than most people. Anyway, so I I do I talk about this stuff quite a bit. Nobody asks me for advice. On their marriages, and I appreciate that. Well, you don't, you know, you are not goth. I feel like it, my unoffered advice is generally that people with kids are a little too casual about decisions about their marriage, and people without kids are not casual enough. Like, yeah. honestly, people without kids should get divorced more, and people with kids should get divorced less. Yeah, that's, that's that, the Ken Jennings that's doctrine. Jennings's law. <laughs> Uh, you can send us physical items. Uh, this does not have to be related to the state of your marriage, but anything you would like to send us, we would be happy to take a look at it. The Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. If you are mad at your spouse and you want to take something that's very precious to them and mail it to us, uh, sure, if we'll they, take it. I'll if, take they, it. if they listen to the show, they may hear us unwrap it, though. Yeah, and be like, oh, wow, look at this Longines watch that is engraved <laughs> to someone's dad. Cool. Uh, I did not mention the futurelings uh, who congregate on Facebook and to a much lesser degree on Reddit. Well, don't say that. You're just going to make Redditors mad, and then they're going to dox that's you. The only thing I want in the world is to make Redditors mad. I know. Uh, they get mad pretty easily. Speaking of people who will never be married, Redditors. Uh, <laughs> They're so mad. <laughs> They're super mad right now. Uh, if you have not been through a costly divorce and wish to celebrate that fact financially. Oh, I thought, I thought you meant and wish to approximate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're not making an out, take the size of the largest alimony payment you would make yep. and proffer it to a good cause like the Omnibus Project. And we will continue this fine and important time capsule of our era. Uh, you can do that. Uh, you can make that financial uh, pledge at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, back in these archaic and, and uh, medieval times where people still don't just get to be who they are without... Having their, having aspects of their identity imposed upon them by the courts and the cultures and the banks. I still cannot marry a corporation. Nope. I cannot marry six octopuses. Nope. I can't marry a fire engine. I am a vampire, and I still cannot see myself in the mirror. You really can't. No. And and, and you blame that, the courts? Is that intrinsic to <laughs> vampirism? I don't think so. Who decides? I don't know what the legal remedy to that would be, but okay. Uh, we want our civilization to survive long enough to create 
a, a network of institutions that allow your civilization to flourish based on the uh, the the hard choices and the bad decisions and the uh, fan fictions and the alternate universes where Alexander invaded Rome. Learn from our mistakes. And so that's why, partly why we're recording all of this, so that you know all the, the struggles and you don't have to repeat those struggles. They all led up to our demise. So basically, if there's anything we did, don't do it. Futurelings may, of course, look back and go, actually, no fart, fault divorce, no fart divorce. No fart that's divorce. The, that's the hardest one to live no, no fault divorce uh, actually was the beginning of the end, and we sh- and and they realized that shoring up the institution of marriage and making it impossible to get out of a marriage was the thing that saved. So it them. was Reagan's fault, just like we all said. <laughs> we were just wrong about the specifics. All of the uh, all of the future like hyper political algae mats who are who are like wearing uh, <laughs> whip inflation now buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Where did they get them? I don't know, man. They're floating in the Sargasso Sea. Yeah, all the all the uh, all the, the floating plastic vortex or whatever. Right. Uh, it, uh, they it live be- in the the, it, the plastic. It, it became gyre. sentient. Yeah, the, its whirlings resembled the synapses of a brain, and the next thing you know, the <sighs> well, trash we patch and, is thinking. We hope and pray that uh, that the catastrophe we fear that results in a hyper intelligent trash patch may never come. Although we don't, if if it's trash patch listening to the show hey what's up we're happy for you (laughs) (laughs) carbon life don't listen to this trash patch hello trash patch did you understand the hilbert hotel entry because i didn't (laughs) if the worst comes soon this recording like all our recordings may have been our final word but if providence allows we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office